0: Hello, this is David Thompson. Today is July the 28th of 2014 on Monday. The passage that I was led to today by the casting of Lot was Luke chapter 3. So I will read, in this case, the first part of Luke chapter 3 because the last part is just a list of genealogical records Leading to the birth of Christ, so we'll begin with a reading of Luke chapter three. Now, in the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judea, and Herod, being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip tetrarch of Itria, and of the region of Trachonitis, and Lysanias, the tetrarch of Albany. Ananias and Capias, being the high priest, the word of the Lord God came unto John the son of Zecharias in the wilderness. And he came into all the country about Jordan preaching the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, saying, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make his path straight, Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low. And the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Then said he to the multitude that came forth to be baptized of him, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee? from the wrath to come. Bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance. And begin not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father, for I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. And now also the ax is laid unto the root of the trees. Every tree therefore which bringeth forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. And the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? He answered and said unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none, and he that hath meat, let him do likewise. Then came also publicans to be baptized, and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed you. And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, What shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. And as the people were in expectation, and all men mused in their hearts of John, whether he were the Christ or not, John answered, saying unto them all, I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I cometh, the latchet of whose shoes I am not worthy to unloose, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly purge his floor, and will gather the wheat into his garner, but the chaff he will burn with fire unquenchable and many other things in his exhortation preached he on to the people. But Herod the patriarch being reproved by him for Herodias his brother Philip's wife and for all the evils which Herod had done added yet this above all, that he shut up John in prison. Now when the people were baptized it came to pass that Jesus also being baptized and praying, the heaven was open. And the Holy Ghost descended in a bodily shape, like a dove upon him. And a voice came from heaven which said, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. And Jesus himself began to be about thirty years of age, being as was supposed the son of Joseph, which was the son of Heli. And then we go into the list of genealogies. So we will finish this part on the scripture in Luke chapter 3 at verse 23. Now I always meditate for somewhere between 15 minutes and a half hour in the scripture, which also includes writing brief notes on what God is speaking. And so before I go into speaking as the oracles of God seeking to minister not my words but allow the Holy Spirit to speak through me to the body of Christ I will just basically give you a summarization of what I will probably be speaking on unless the Holy Spirit leads differently which is the reading of the paragraph that I wrote and so I said this Christ said that John the Baptist was the greatest among men. This was not because of the power to do miracles, because he did not operate in that gift. It was because of the great anointing upon him, because of his expressed hate for sin and love for righteousness, that was coupled with great humility that only wanted to seek the glory of God. This resulted in preaching that brought great conviction. Why? Because of the great anointing. So that people asked what to do to repent and become fruitful unto God. He emphasized repentance that resulted in a life of fruitfulness unto God in all aspects of our life that did not grasp for wealth in relationships with others. John the Baptist stands in great contrast with another man of God. Elijah. John was beheaded and did not even get to see the great works that Christ did, whereas Elijah was translated. It seems that Christ considered the life of John greater than the life of Elijah, that called down fire that destroyed legions of soldiers. There is also this relationship with God the Father and God the Son, where out of love, that comes through the fear of God, death works in one, that life might work in the other. Now, before I get into the last part of what I just read there, which might seem mysterious to many of you, let me just go along and share what the Holy Spirit would want to share from this passage of Scripture. Christ clearly stated that among those born of man, John the Baptist was the greatest among men. And he's speaking about men that are men of God. For no one is great that is only physical in stature. Spiritual stature is genuine, everlasting greatness that ever enlarges and expands without end throughout eternity in fellowship, with God and his creation in heaven. In this passage of scripture, we see that John the Baptist was a voice of one crying in the wilderness that was foretold in Isaiah chapter 40 around verse 2, where it gives the similar passage that is in this passage here. And when I'm talking about that passage, I'm talking about Isaiah 43 is quoted here in regards to John's emphasis on repentance. Where it says in verse 4, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. What is the significance of a cry of awakening that comes out of the wilderness? The wilderness is a place where there is no comforts of this life that have been devised by man through his labor and his efforts. It's a place where one must depend on those things that God provides through his creation, such as Elijah did when he was at the brook and the birds came and fed Elijah food in the time of drought. Now, a wilderness in the Mideast would often have very harsh conditions, although surely there was wilderness that had lush trees as there were lions and many other wild beasts. Certainly earlier on in those days, more so. So, we have a voice that is a voice that is a voice of awakening, and it is an awakening that is coming from a place where there is no grounds for motivations of covetousness or self sufficiency. And it's saying this prepare ye the way of the Lord." Now, before I get into expounding all of what this particular section means from verses 4 to 6, I want to emphasize that John came with a message that was a message of repentance. As it says in the verse before, in verse 3, he came into all the country about Jordan preaching the baptism of repentance For the remission of sins. He also emphasizes in Luke 3 here that this was to be a repentance that brought forth fruit. He says, bring, verse 8, bring forth therefore fruits worthy of repentance. And begin not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham to our father, for I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. So John's message was a message of the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. It was his mission to prepare the way of the Lord, which in this case was the first coming of God on the earth or to the earth in Jesus Christ in that great condescension. Why was John's message so effective that it smote the hearts of the people? We see this when he preaches and he says to them, O generation of vipers who have warned you to flee from the wrath to come. And he emphasizes to bring this fruit of repentance and not to... Think that you are saved because you've been brought up in a religious background and go through all the religious rituals. In other words, in this case, he says, don't say that you have Abraham as your father when you're not living the life. He emphasizes there's already an axe being laid to the root of the trees and that the trees that don't bring forth good fruit are going to be hewn down and cast into the fire. This is a very strong and jolting message to people that are spiritually asleep. So it is a cry of awakening. that is awakening people out of their sleep to the point that they say, and the people asked him, saying, what shall we do? They were smitten by this message because this message was not just any message. It was a message that was filled with the powerful anointing of the Holy Spirit. The reason John's preaching was so effectual to bring such a work so that the axe could be laid to those things that were not of God, to the roots that were not of God. In this case, I'm not talking about this tree that he's talking about, but the tree that would be smitten if they did not cut off the roots of sin in their lives. The reason his preaching was so effective was because you can see in his preaching a tremendous hate for what is contrary to the love of God, which is sin. And a tremendous love for righteousness, which is the expression of love to God and to His creation, and a life of fruitfulness that serves and does good works, not out of duty and religious ritual, but out of passion and love for God that results in a genuine love for His creation. And the Word of God confirms that this is what brings strong anointing in our lives. It says in another passage of scripture in Hebrews, because thou hast loved righteousness and had hated iniquity, therefore God thy God hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. That's probably Hebrews chapter 1. I needn't turn to it. So God is seeking to do a work in our lives as believers to bring us into a place where we can also be an effectual voice that bears fruit with the way we live our life and also so that when we speak there is anointing and authority and power that bears fruit. And part of the process that's involved in this is a process individually in our lives that must happen as well as corporately. In the time of John, it was for the first coming of Christ to prepare for him to come on the scene and to reveal the glory of God and the mighty works that he did. He was called to prepare the way of the Lord. John was also one that was anointed powerfully and was so effectual in his preaching that many were converted because he knew the fear of God that births great humility. He says here, after saying, prepare ye the way of the Lord, to make his paths straight. How many of us end up on paths in our lives, individually and corporately, where we have been filled with our own self-initiations and presumptiveness before God and we have not learned to wait on God. And as a result, our paths are crooked and there's instability in our lives and there's misdirection because we are trying out of our own sufficiencies to bring forth the kingdom of God even. Oh, there's many examples of this. Where instead of entering into relationship with God, we become those that are filled with performance before God. And have fallen short of intimacy with God. Because we've not learned to wait on God. And allow Him to renew our strength. And allow Him to direct our paths in those ways that are straight and clear. And so we see corporately that there can be ministries that build enormous churches and then collapse because the foundation was not started on a relationship of intimacy with God, but more out of our own self-initiations. We all have this tendency, even Abram had it, For he tried to fulfill the promise of God through Hagar and got Ishmael, which was 13 years of trouble in his life, of tribulation because of his own ways. But God is now calling his people, as he did back then, to not rely on your church or your background But to know that you personally have entered into a relationship that is straight with God where there is not an eye that is evil, but an eye that is straight and clear to receive the light because your heart is open and it is transparent and it is not hiding anything from God or justifying things with the veils of religious performance that would make you believe that you are doing God's will when in reality it is a cover-up of deception. And it says in this passage of Scripture that we are to prepare the way of the Lord to make his past tree. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain shall be brought and hill shall be brought low. God is calling his people today Those that are dejected. Dejection is just a form of pride, really. Because the focus is on self still. It's on self and its insufficiency, but not in a right way. And I will differentiate here. That it is good to be poor in spirit, as the word of God says, blessed are the poor in spirit. It is good to see our lack before God. This is a very important quality. But if we become merely religious and ignore our lack before God and try to fill up that lack with activities that would make ourselves believe that we're doing God's will through and being pleasing to God through mere performance, then what happens is that there can be those that are dejected because the enemy has grounds to accuse them because their heart has not been transparent before God. There are those that are dejected when they should be lifted up and are rightly in a place of humility like Hannah was or like Rachel was when she was mocked by Leah. And that is not a wrong thing to be in the place of being a valley. There comes a time where if we trust God through such a trial... And we stay in that place of genuine poverty of spirit and poverty of our circumstances, bringing it before God in faith, believing, where he answers our prayer, where there's breakthrough. It's like the birth pangs of a child. Rejoice thou, barren that bearest not, for the woman that has no children has more than the married wife, because she persevered to the place of birthing for that which is spiritual, that is far greater than that which is in the natural and it is the spiritual that must come first for there to be the blessing and the natural that can be entrusted to one to use properly so that it does not result later in trials of debt that bring detriment in their lives. And so, the valleys God will raise up. Now this applies corporately as well to the body of Christ. Paul the Apostle said this. He said that God has tempered the body of Christ together in such a manner. And this is in Corinthians. I'm not sure of the exact verse. I believe it's probably 1 Corinthians, probably around 12 or something. I may be wrong. But he says, God has tempered the body together in such a way that he's given more abundant honor unto the part that lacks so that there should be no schism in the body of Christ. Now, what is Paul saying there? He's saying that people that are dejected or that are not very attractive in the natural to people, that the Spirit of God will come on them and give them a more honorable gift, in some cases or many cases in order to humble those that tend to be looked up to. In Proverbs it says, contention comes by pride. Division comes by pride. People tend to put their identity in a personality instead of in their relationship with God first. And so there's a tendency of control that develops and out of that comes division and a denominational mindset where we denominate people and we say, oh, this person is this way and we categorize them because we become merely religious and there's veils on our eyes and we don't have the love of God to see the potential diamond in them and to wash their feet with the word of God and to encourage them to bring them forth rather we do the opposite. We cut people off out of pride. But you see, this comes out of control. The desire to control is not from God. It is a lack of trust in God. Control, I want the church to be this way. I want my individual life to be this way. And we build our own shell or we build our own hierarchical structure that comes out of a denominational mindset. And what God is wanting the body of Christ to come to is the place where our identity is not found in personalities and people in this last hour. For this is the hour when God will do his end time work. What is this end time work? It is the Feast of Tabernacles, which is the Feast of Booths. It's Sukkot. It is where God dwells with His people. How does that happen? This passage here is talking about all flesh seeing the salvation of God. And this second coming of Christ is going to come first in the visitation of His Spirit to those that come to the place where they repent of a denominational mindset and a spirit of control. It should be that in a church the pastors and the leadership are allowing each member of the body to function fully in their gifts and are facilitating it and greatly encouraging it instead of everything being done up at the front on the platform. When that's the case that allows the Holy Spirit to come on the more insignificant members of the body and them to be seen and and lifted up as it were this valley being filled and those others that would seem to be looked out up to brought down and every mountain and hill shall be brought low as it says in this passage and when this happens there's a mighty work that can begin to take place where we no longer are conscious of some person or amidst So much in the preaching of the Word of God, that doesn't mean the pastor doesn't get up and preach a message. But when you have people in the congregation that can be spontaneously sensitive to the Holy Spirit and speak forth the Word of God out of the beautiful worship they've just had and give prophetic utterance, whether it be in a testimony or a song or a word of exhortation, what happens then is when the pastor preaches, he discovers that what they spoke was exactly what he was preparing to speak on. And each of them as individuals, when they have spoken forth, are amazed to discover that everything they are sharing, though they didn't know what each other was going to share, is all confirmatory and dovetailing in to a very clear theme. And this happened many times in a church I went to in North Vancouver at one time, and probably still going on there. I won't go into that. God is wanting the body of Christ to repent of control and to allow the members of the body to come forth. Churches complain that their prayer meetings are so sparse. Cancel the prayer meeting and begin to have the church service as a prayer meeting and get on your face before God. and humble yourselves and all of you and the leadership. And wait on God and pray and humble yourselves and seek His face until you sense His Spirit moving among you and causing you to rise up out of that humility in an ascendancy of great adulation and praise and liberty and joy in the Holy Spirit. So many times in the church today it's backwards. You come in and they're all hyped up and jumping and singing joyful songs and they haven't even humbled themselves and become sensitive before God or sensitive to those that are suffering around them in the congregation that are hurt due to their insensitivity and lightness that often happens or hype. The time has come for us to know the fear of God that brings an intimate relationship with God, that causes the valleys to fill, the mountains to be brought low, and also the rough ways to be made smooth and the crooked straight. And I've seen a lot of crooked things where people get into wildfire and they look weird and they behave in an irreverent way and you do not sense there's integrity or humility in them. And the world can see through it. But God's going to make those crooked places straight in this hour. And he's going to show the body of Christ the importance of being sober, which is strongly emphasized in the book of Timothy and other passages of Scripture, the importance of sobriety out of a relationship of intimacy with God that brings forth great joy and great liberty. and the rough places will be made smooth. I know the time is going on this passage of Scripture, and I've hardly begun on this passage of Scripture. But what I want to share with you to finish, because these messages are shorter messages, is I want to share with you also about the contrast between Elijah and John the Baptist. And yet John the Baptist was deemed greater than Elijah. And in relation to this, I want to point out Isaiah 33, 5-7. In that passage of Scripture, there is a statement in verse 6, I believe. It might be verse 7, but you can look it up. And it says this, the fear of the Lord is his treasure. The context in verse 5 reveals that this is speaking about the Messiah. So Jesus Christ deemed the fear of God his treasure. Now this is a big topic which I could speak a long time on and which I am writing an in-depth book on. But it is an important thing to understand that it is when we grow in the genuine fear of God and some of us have not even entered into genu- the genuine fear of God or genuine conversion. We've had a counterfeit conversion. We've never had a genuine circumcision in our heart or seen our desperate need for God and cried out from the depths of our heart for Him to be the Lord and Savior of our lives through Jesus Christ. I want to just clearly, because I don't have time, I cannot go into this in detail, but I will give you something to meditate on here. We know there's only one God. That is clear. And there's a clear understanding I have of the Trinity. It's not complicated like so many people say. I'll just briefly say this. There's only one God, and this God is in government as the Father. Father speaks of originator, and the one that sees the end from the beginning. The source, the originator, the one that sees the end from the beginning is the Father in government. This aspect of the government God is that aspect of government that transcends time and space. The other aspect is that God, as the Father, is expressed into the time and space realm of his creation to govern in that realm. The word son means expression. The son is also called the word. And the word also is another definition that can be defined as expression. It says in Hebrews 1.4 that the son is the full expression of the father. And so in order for God to communicate in the time and space realm, he must be in personage. You cannot have personage beyond the time and space realm in focus of worship and not have personage within the time and space realm. There must be personage in both places in order to govern in that dimension. And of course the Holy Spirit is that aspect of God that is of the Father and the Son that is filling all things in personage and is able to be in personage and do miracles anywhere in the universe and permeates the whole universe and holds every molecule and is attached to every molecule and atom in every dimension of existence that God has created. And so in this relationship of the triunity of one God, we have the Son perceiving the absolute goodness and the absolute purity of God the Father's love. A love that is so pure it is a blazing fire of judgment against the slightest that is contrary to it. The second law of thermodynamics is defined as that which left unto its own goes in the direction of order, disorder into total chaos. When we are cut off from God, we are left on our own and we automatically are cut off from life and therefore go in the direction of chaos. Being cut off from God means that we begin to have corruption in us and we have death as the process. But when the son is perceiving the father, he's perceiving this love that is a blazing fire of judgment against all corruption, against the second law of thermodynamics, if you will. And he's seeing the glory of this and it causes him, out of seeing the majesty of this, And appreciating it because it's ever enlarging in this purity of love. To want to respond with a thankfulness and an appreciation. And so he says to the father, Father, I love you so much. I see how good you are. How creative you are because you are so pure. You have this foundation to ever be enlarging in a creativity that goes on and on. And therefore, I want to bring many sons to you as a corporate bride. And I look forward to being enlarged in my love for you by laying down my life so that I can bring forth to you a corporate bride. And the father likewise sees the same perception in the son. And he also says to the son, I love you so much, son, that I am willing to let you go because I want you to know the fulfillment of being in this corporate bride with me, in fellowship, ever enlarging in a government of love that expands through the universe in greater and greater enlargements of love and creativity. And so there is this relationship that comes out of the fear of God. It is the very secret of abiding in God. It is being in the place of humility. When you see the glory of God and you recognize His holiness and how unworthy you are, you are brought to the place of great honesty, which brings you to the place of great humility, and vice versa. You are brought to the place of great humility, which brings you to the place of the reality of who God is and of great honesty, so that you see your undoneness and you cry out to God and say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then there's genuine conversion because there's genuine belief. Because when you see how great God's mercy is to you, which can only come out of the fear of God, You see how great His love is for you. And when you see how great His love is for you, you cannot help but with your spirit reach out in faith. Yes, your spirit reaches out in a state of selflessness where boasting is excluded by the law of faith as an open hand to receive the love of God's mercy through His atoning sacrifice in Christ. And then His spirit comes to abide with your spirit of faith in a new divine nature. And now this other open hand representing God comes, and you have two hands, that were, as a symbol of prayer, which represents the new divine seed, as it says that whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. And so here we have it, a relationship with God, where you're born again and this is an ongoing process of abiding in him in the same way for it says as you have received christ jesus the lord so walk ye in Him." now in this passage of scripture because i cannot go on for long i just want to point this out there's a contrast between elijah and john the baptist But John was considered the greater because he was not allowed to even have the anointing to do great miracles, to call fire down from heaven. He was willing to give up all the glory of those kind of things that God could have used him in because he wanted to just bring in the ushering of the Son, just like the Son wants to bring the corporate bride to God. And he did not seek his own glory but humbled himself because he had such a reverence for the Father and a love that was birthed out of that for God. And this is the secret of abiding in him is that out of the fear of God, we have no desire for anything of ourselves or of our own glory. We have no desire for this world. We delight to even be one in the wilderness for him. And it is out of that relationship that has birthed great fruitfulness onto God. And He is calling us as the body of Christ to repent of being denominations and cast them off in this hour and become His corporate bride and receive those of a different denomination, if you're from that background, equally instead of at a lesser level of love. We're to receive one another as Christ received us as sinners, it says in the word of God. And so this is the message to the body of Christ in this hour. It is prepare ye the way of the Lord because he's coming again. And he will come to those congregations that come to this place of repenting of all self-control in their lives individually and corporately and of all those things that harden our hearts that because of our love for the world that causes an adultery with the world, that in turn causes adultery in marriages. And to repent of this adultery and to turn back to God and become his corporate bride. This is what God is seeking to do in this hour will you begin to take the steps in your churches and congregations to let the glory of God come down in his fullness and inhabit the body of Christ so that you're conscious of him walking in your midst and not only Conscious, but His presence comes into your midst, and the mighty works of God begin to happen because you've come into a genuine unity with the Father out of the fear of God and with one another out of the fear of God that baptizes you in such a love as you've never hitherto foreknown. I wish I could continue to preach this message. God is saying, as Paul the Apostle said, death works in us that life might work in you. Death worked in John the Baptist and he was beheaded, but it was that life might work in others that he might prepare the way of the Lord. And God is calling us as his people to be willing to allow death to work in us that life might work in others. And that does not mean that we cannot walk in authority like Elijah the prophet. For there is a place for all things. But let us be those that first embrace the cross. That when we embrace the anointing and power of God, we will not misuse it and come to the place of stumbling and pride. Like so many great men of God have come to. And we have examples in the scripture and many other places. God bless you. And I will continue to do these messages and I pray that you will pray me and support me in the work that I seek to do. I do not have a nonprofit status, but I will be putting up something on my site soon for those that want to voluntarily support the ministry that I'm doing. It just goes to supporting me, not I don't have any desire for fancy cars and wealth. I have desire for one thing resources to do the work of God, but it's not nonprofit. It's going to be the other way. I prefer it that way. I don't think the government should be involved with our ties. Okay, God bless you all. Thank you so much for listening.